Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. I have one announcement this morning, but I'm going to wait till after our service is over and we've observed communion. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're in Genesis chapter 9 this morning. Our last message on the life of Noah, Genesis chapter 9. While you're turning there, though, I will remind you that starting next Sunday, the first Sunday of February, your crazy pastor is going to start a six-month series on the Holy Spirit. So you don't want to miss it. It's going to be exciting. God's going to take our church, I think, through an incredible journey as we discover truly who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit can and wants to do in each of our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. This morning, as we wrap up our series on Noah, the ark has landed again on dry ground, and God is reestablishing the world with this one family. And there's two primary things I see in the first 17 verses of Genesis chapter 9. In the first seven verses, we see the blessing of God upon Noah, and we're going to talk about what that is and how that applies to our lives every day. And then in verses 8 through 17, we talk about the covenant that God made with Noah, and we'll talk about how that can apply to our lives as well. The blessing of God and the covenant of God. As we left last week's passage, chapter 8, we saw that the first thing Noah did when he got off the ark was to build an altar and to worship the Lord. And we were reminded that God will respond to us as we worship Him, as we acknowledge Him. And God certainly did. Because here in the first couple words of Genesis 9-1, the Bible tells us God blessed Noah and his sons who were on the ark. What does it mean to be blessed of God? This is something that even followers of Jesus Christ sometimes are unclear about or confused about. For many today and throughout history, they equate the blessing of God to only temporal, physical, material things. In other words, if If I'm healthy and I'm feeling good and all the circumstances of my life, all the stars of the world are lining up in my favor and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting wealthier and I'm being blessed in a financial way, then God is blessing me. That's even how you hear many pastors today from certain churches speaking to people. That's primarily how they view the blessing of God. But folks, can I just tell you, that's not biblical, We could be a great follower of Jesus Christ, and that doesn't mean that we're always going to have good health and and no trials and and that, you know, all of us are going to have the the wealth of, of the world necessarily at our disposal. It's not that we can't receive those things from God and can't be blessed in that way. But God primarily does not look at his greatest blessings in our life as anything temporal, physical, or material because those things don't last. The blessing of God is when God entrusts his people with that which is of greatest value and worth. 
And a lot of times then why we have a misunderstanding of the blessing of God in our lives or other people's lives is we sort of switch the price tags, if you will, from what God's price tags are on things. In other words, God comes along and says, these are the most valued things that that should be of value to you. And these are the things of greatest worth. And we begin to live our lives and we put higher price tags and higher value and higher worth on things that really doesn't matter. Things that a thousand years from now, a million years from now, isn't going to matter. And people pour their lives into things that won't last. And the Bible says, you know, naked we came into this world and naked we go out. And, you know, all the things that we accumulate are only going to be passed on to somebody else. What's of real value? What does God entrust his people with? And this is so cool because the journey that we're about to go on is a church. And I think these seven and a half years that we've been at Basha meeting have all been years of preparation because God wants to entrust us with even greater things of greater value and worth, but he needs to prepare us to be able to handle that responsibility. And you and I see this in everyday life where somebody is promoted or elevated to a certain position and they've never really been trained properly for it or prepared for it and they can't handle the responsibility that they're given. God wants to make sure that you and I go through His training and and preparation so that when He does begin to entrust us with things of greatest worth and value, that we'll be able to meet those responsibilities and do it well. Do it excellently. Sort of not just survive it, but thrive in it. What were some of the things then that God blessed Noah with that are some of the same things that you and I can be blessed of God with as well. Well, the first one is, we can be entrusted by God to grow and increase. See, that, that's actually a blessing of God, to be able to grow and increase. Notice what God says there in the very first verse. After he says, God blessed Noah and his sons, he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In fact, this is so important that it is repeated in verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and multiply and increase abundantly on the earth and multiply on it. And many times, even Christians, we read that and we think, well, that's just about procreation and just having big families and all of that. And that can be part of it. But the whole language here, the language of fruitfulness, of bearing fruit and being productive, all have to do with the concept of growing in our lives and increasing That that's actually a blessing of God. That you and I have the opportunity not to stagnate in our life. Not to become complacent and just satisfied with where we are. But through God, we can always grow and increase. We never have to hit a ceiling in our life. We never have to be like so many people in, in the world without God who somehow, you know, sort of reach what they consider to be the pinnacle of their lives or their career. And then after that, there's sort of nothing to look forward to. There's nothing after that to fulfill or satisfy them. Because obviously, you know that I had a, a big sports background and, and, you know, follow sports. I see this all the time, especially with athletes. It's so sad to me. You know, when they don't have anything beyond their sports career because they don't know what to do. 
And you know, they were given such accolades and such attention and admiration while they were playing and while they were on top of their game. But as soon as they, their skills start to go a little bit, as soon as they're not the end-all be-all, when they retire, what's left for them in life? You know, they've already you know, performed in front of thousands and millions of people on television and all of that, and they have, they have nothing else left. It's like, well, they always have to look back. For them, there's not a lot to look forward to because in their minds, the best years of my life were in my 20s and 30s when I played professional sports. See, for a child of God, we can grow and increase and be productive and bear fruit to our final day on earth. We never have to stop growing. And God wants us to understand that the the privilege, the opportunity to grow and increase with Him and become all that He created us to be, To reach our full potential as a human being is actually a blessing of God. It's something we've been entrusted with. And Jesus said that you will glorify me if you bear much fruit. Well, there obviously he wasn't in John 15 talking about children and all of that. He was talking about our personal growth and increase. Being productive in life. Accomplishing things. And so God has set that before us today. What are we doing with that blessing? See, I I think each of us, this day, this week, this month, this year, we have an opportunity laid before us by God to grow and increase. Are we seizing that? Are we doing everything we can to, to not become complacent and stagnate and just sort of get in our comfort zone and never be stretched anymore and, and never you know, be willing to, to go through some changes and, and experience new things. Remember, the world that Noah and his family got out on was altogether different than the pre-flood world. As I said last week, it looked different, it smelled different, the sounds were different. It was a completely different world. So that's the first blessing I see. The second is, I think he entrusted Noah and his family with leadership. Because that's always been God's design for human beings. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, every living creature of the earth and every bird of the sky will be terrified of you. I think there was a change after the flood of how mankind and the animal kingdom related to each other. Don't have a lot of time to go into all that, but everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, notice these last three words of verse 2, are under your authority. I've created you in a special way to not only bear my image unlike any of the animal kingdom, but to lead, to rule over them. This has always been God's design. You go back to Genesis 1. Adam and Eve, what did he say to them? I want you to have dominion over the world. I want you to rule and to reign and to learn to be leaders. I am entrusting you with leadership if you will, to be co-regents or vice-regents along with me. God always had that 
designed for man. And he's not given up on that just because of the fall, just because of the flood. See, it's not like, well, mankind failed. And so now you and I, all we get to experience is God's second best. God certainly gives us second chances, but they're not designed so that all we can experience is God's second best, even if you're here today. And somehow in your life, maybe you've never really connected with God or you feel like you've failed God or, or that you are a failure or something. You've got to understand that God, he, he wants to give you another opportunity at, at a run for, for this and what he's created you for. And, and if you begin to follow him and believe in him and trust in him, it's not like, well, at this point in my life, I, I've just got to look at second best. That somehow God's already given up on what's absolutely the best plan he had. No, he, he will never do that. And God's best has always been for men and women to be leaders of the world he created. And why I know that God hasn't given up on that for you and I. And why we now have been entrusted with the opportunities to lead and step up and stand up and be leaders. Be strong, confident leaders under him. Is because if you read the New Testament, you find out that that's still God's plan for us as his people. I don't want to take the time to turn there, but I'll give you the references. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 2 and 3, where Paul tells the Corinthians who are wrangling and they can't get along with each other and there's partisanship and they're always fighting. Sounds like someplace else we know, right? And Paul says to them as Christians, he says, don't you know that God's plan for you is that you will judge the world? You will rule and reign over this world one day? And then he says, oh, and you, by the way, you will rule and reign over angels? And then in Revelation 22, verses 3 through 5, as sort of God is wrapping up his revelation, he reminds human beings who will follow him that there will be, you know, no more curse and no more death. And that I will be there with you. And then he says this, and you will rule and reign with me forever. That's been God's plan from the beginning. That's why everything he's done since the fall is basically to restore man to his original design to be, have dominion over his creation. To be leaders. And that's a blessing of God. To be able to lead and step up and step forward and become the leader. It doesn't matter what vocation you and I have. As followers of God, God looks at all of us as potential leaders. Every last one of us. In fact, the microcosm of that is, first of all, in our own personal lives, we can't lead others until we learn to lead ourselves. We've got to learn to manage ourselves well. And then once we start to show some proficiency and progress in that, God will allow us to lead others. And again, you see that in the home, first of all, right? After ourselves, then it's like, then God calls us to be leaders in our home and then in our community, in our society, and in the world. And God is calling us as a church to be that as well.
God is saying to us now as the Oasis Church, your profile's been this big, now your profile's going to start to increase as you get your own place, as you establish a permanent footprint here in the East Valley of Phoenix, Arizona. And I want you to be a little bit more conspicuous because I prepared you for this moment. And now I want you to step up and step forward and be the leaders that I have called you to be. It's one of the blessings of God. Another one is this. You see very quickly after Noah gets off the ark that God, you know, understands that it's not going to be long and it's going to be a violent world again. And he has to establish very early on the sanctity of human life. So he says to them, in verse 3, You may eat anything moving that lives. As I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Again, I don't have time to go into this today. I believe pre-flood, both animals and mankind were vegetarians. After the flood, that changed. Animals became meat eaters as well as man became a meat eater. But notice a very quick restriction that God makes. Because God wants to, with Noah and his family, and with those that will follow him, uh, help them to understand that there's going to be a sacredness to life and that he needs to establish the importance of blood sacrifice in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. So he says to them in verse 4, You may eat meat, but just don't eat blood. There's something special about the blood. And we know this from the Bible. Leviticus 17.11 says, The life of us as human beings is in the blood. That's why when you go to the doctor and get a checkup, what are they going to do? They're going to check your blood. And you're going to have to get blood tests because the blood really does show the quality and the health of the life that pulsates through our physical body. But then God says this. For those who take others' lives, he says, I will surely exact punishment from every living creature. From each person, I will exact punishment for the life of the individual since the man was his relative. And whoever sheds human blood by other humans must his blood be shed. For in God's image, God has made humankind. God wanted to protect human life and give order to society and wanted to show the value of life. He wanted Noah to instill in his own family and from there forward this appreciation of the value of our lives. And you think about that in in the context of even the world in which we live today. And how far that has fallen. People do not appreciate the gift of life. If they did, they wouldn't take others' lives so easily and flippantly. And they wouldn't take their own life so quickly. You see, God said, if you understand my word and you understand me and you understand yourself, that you're not just here through evolution, that you are a unique and special creation of mine, 
I breathed life into you as God. And every human being has been created that way. Therefore, every human being should be respected as a special and unique creation of God. And we should all not only value each other's lives, but value and appreciate the life that we've been given by God. So often in our even lives, and I'll just talk about our individual lives, we can waste so much time of pouring our very finite life, no matter how long it is on this earth, and spend it on things that, again, a thousand, a million years from now will not matter. As a pastor for 33 years, I have spent a lot of time at times in hospice rooms and hospital rooms and even in homes with dying people. And I've never met anyone who is getting ready to go out into eternity who did not say, you know what, I didn't appreciate the life that I had as much as I should have. I didn't live each day to the fullest. I wasted so much time in things that really don't matter. I didn't appreciate the life that I had. And folks, I don't know what your belief system is, but I know this. The Bible clearly teaches there's only one life that God gives us on this earth. There's no such thing as reincarnation with God or the Bible. We don't get multiple chances to go through life. We each get one life. One, that's it. And it's not even how long we live on this earth. Because sometimes the people that have made the greatest impact and been the greatest influence in our world haven't lived long lives. It's what they did with the time that they had. And God is saying to us here, that I'm entrusting you with your life. I don't know how long my lifespan is. You don't know either. But however long it is, God is saying, that is a blessing that I'm giving you. You were created by me and you are alive. And what are you going to do with this life? What are you going to do with these 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years that you have on this earth? God is saying, I'm entrusting you with that. What's going to come of it? And then one other blessing here. Before we move on to the covenant that God made with Noah. And that again goes back to what God said in verse 6. Which is a reminder that all of us were created in God's image. The word means likeness or resemblance. And for the Christian, that means that, again, we've been entrusted, blessed by God, to bear the image, the likeness, the resemblance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, the image of God was marred in the fall when sin came. The image that God placed in Adam and Eve was changed after sin entered. But through Jesus Christ... And a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That image 
can be restored. And people then can begin to see the image of God in us. If we're willing to follow God. And bear that image. Again, that's the purpose of salvation. That's why God saves us. Romans 8, 29, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29. And then in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, the Bible tells us that through the spirit of the Lord, and we're going to talk more about that when we get to the spirit, that through the spirit of the Lord, we are changed or transformed from one image of glory of God to another image throughout our lives. So that when people see us, they're not just seeing Jeff. They're seeing Jesus in Jeff. Just like they should see Jesus in you. And Jesus in us. Is this not what people saw in the early Christians? Isn't that why they were called Christians in the first place? Remember, We weren't called Christians by other Christians. We didn't even call ourselves Christians. The early Christians in the book of Acts throughout history were called Christians by people that weren't even followers of God. And it was not necessarily a term of endearment. It just was, oh, those people, the way they act, the way they talk, the way they relate to each other, they remind me of Jesus Christ. Christian. A little Christ. They follow that guy. And throughout the New Testament, what do you see? You see people who are observing people and going, hmm, they remind me of that guy, Jesus. They think like him. They have his values. They they approach life from his perspective. Folks, that's something God has entrusted us with. That's why he calls local churches lighthouses. We are to be places where people can look at us and go, you know what? I might not agree with them. I may not even respect them, but yeah, they're, they're doing it Jesus' way. That's the way Jesus would do it. That's what Jesus taught. And isn't, didn't Jesus say the same thing when he said... If you learn to love each other the way I've loved you, then all people, not just other Christians, all people will know that you're my disciples. You follow me. That you resemble and have a likeness to me. You're bearing my image to the world so that they can see me through you. Which is what it's all about. So those are just some of the blessings that God gave to Noah and to his family. Maybe it helps us to sort of rewire what we think about being blessed of God. And that we don't just equate the blessing of God to things that are material, physical, temporal. But that we learn to look at life and the things of life through the lens of God and his perspective rather than our own and the worldly values that are all around us. But the second thing is this. I want you to see this before we close today because it actually ties in with the Lord's table today that we're going to observe. 
And that is in verses 8 through 17, you have what's called the Noahic covenant or the covenant that God made with Noah. Why is that important? Well, throughout the Bible, God made covenants with people. Some of them were unilateral. Some of them were bilateral. In other words, some of them were conditional. God would say, if you do this, then I'll do this. But sometimes, like the covenant he made with Noah, it's unconditional. It was all about what God said he would do, and it had nothing to do with us, in a sense. We didn't have to do a thing. I shared Wednesday night a, an example of a conditional covenant, where in the book of Exodus, when God was getting ready to finally humble Pharaoh to where he would let his people go, he said, I will take the firstborn. The death angel will come. But any of you who believe in my provision, if you take the sacrifice that I have instructed you and you place it over your door, then I will pass over and your firstborn will not die. And of course, to this day, the Jews observe Passover. It's a very big deal. Well, that's a conditional covenant. God said, if you apply the blood, I'll pass over. Here, this is not a conditional covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. And why are covenants important? Covenants actually are a great comfort. Why? Well, because it shows us the faithfulness of God. God is a covenant keeper. And therefore, God enters into covenants with us so that we as human beings can know where we stand with God. That's huge. Because can I remind all of us that even on a human level, in human relationships, even relationships that are very valuable and important to us, we don't always know where we stand with each other. In fact, I was meeting with somebody this past week and part of their frustration is they said, I I just don't know what I'm going to get from day to day with this person. I just don't know. One day they're like this towards me and the next day they're like this. See, the, the great thing about God and His willingness to not only you know, come down to our level, but to enter into covenants with us is so that we will know, based upon these covenants, where do I stand with you, God? And that's why they're of such importance and comfort to us. So notice in verse 8, the Bible says, not only did God bless Noah, 9-1, but in 9-8, God said to Noah, our God is a God who communicates. He lets us know what's in his head and how we can be right with him. There's a clarity there that, again, is so refreshing because so often in life, you know, where we want to go or think we want to go, and all, we don't have that clarity and that confidence. There's a lot of cloudiness and confusion with people today. God says, if you'll follow me and enter into covenants with me, it can be absolutely clear to you. You'll know where you came from, why you're here, and where you're going. And notice here that God is not expecting Noah to do anything. Notice all the personal pronouns that God uses beginning in verse 8. Look now, I now 
confirm or reaffirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you. By the way, God binds himself and obligates himself to human beings when he enters into a covenant. Again, crazy to me that the God of the universe would be willing to do that, but he does. He binds himself and obligates himself. Why? Because he wants to show us, you can trust me. I'm trustworthy. I'm a covenant keeper. I will keep my promises to you. You can depend on me. You can rely upon me. And so covenants are important, not only because they allow us to know where we stand with God, but they're reassurances that we all need. God knows that as human beings, we need reaffirmation and reassurance in our life. And he's willing to give it to us through covenants and through signs of covenants. So he says, I'm entering into this with you. And notice also verse 10, with every living creature that is with you. In other words, God entered into this covenant, not just with Noah, not just with Noah's family and every human being. He actually entered into this covenant with every living creature, every animal. And he says this, verse 11, I confirm my covenant with you that never again will all living things be wiped out by the waters of a flood. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. I promise you, Noah. Because, Noah, it's not going to take long, and you're going to start to see sinful people do hateful, evil, violent things to each other. And just like it was before the flood, you may start to think, oh my goodness, is God going to judge the world again and wipe everything out and everybody out? And God is saying, no, it's going to get bad. But I'm never going to destroy the earth again by a flood as I did in your time. So God not only gives Noah this promise, if you will. But then in verse 12, he gives him the sign of the promise. And you know, even many Christians think that God gave the rainbow to remind us of this covenant. But if you read this... God didn't give the rainbow to us as a reminder. He actually gave it to himself as a reminder. Read it with me. God said, this is the guarantee of the covenant I am making with you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all subsequent generations. I will place my rainbow in the clouds and it will become a guarantee of the covenant between me and the earth. And whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, don't miss this, then I, God, will remember the covenant with you and with all living creatures of all kinds. Now, it's not like God forgets. Like, oh, I'm glad that rainbow appeared so I could remember I would have... No. Again, the word remember here means to act upon his promises. God is simply saying, every time you see a rainbow, that's another sign and sort of an assurance to you that I'm keeping my word. I'm acting on my promises. I will never go back and do something different than what I have said I would do. He says, never again. Will the waters become a flood and destroy all living things? When the rainbow, verse 16, appears in the clouds, I will notice it and remember the perpetual covenant between me, God, and all living creatures of all kinds that are on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the guarantee of the covenant that I'm confirming between me and all the living things that are on the earth. God not only gave a promise and entered into this covenant 
binding himself and obligating himself that he would never destroy the world by a flood again, but he gave them a perpetual sign. Again, a sign not so much for us, but for him. But in a sense, it is for us because every time you see a rainbow as a follower of God, you can say, yep, there's God keeping his promises again. There's God being true to his word again. By the way, very interestingly, before we close this morning, the word for rainbow here in the Hebrew language is a word that literally means battle bow. In other words, we think of a rainbow as sort of a, ah. But to the Hebrews, this bow was more of a reminder of a bow that would be taken into battle or into war. And isn't it interesting that in the rainbow, you have the bow, but the string and the arrow have been removed. In a sense, God is saying, I will never go to war against you like that ever again. I am hanging up my bow in the clouds. And I'm not going to use it in that way again. And something else interesting, maybe this is a stretch. But isn't it interesting, too, that when you see a rainbow, and if any of you have ever shot a bow, you know that the arc of the bow then is actually pointing where? Upward. In other words, if you were to take a rainbow and put a string on it, put an arrow in it, where's that, where's that going to go? It's, it's going to go up. In a sense, that's what God did when Jesus came. God said, I won't judge the world in this way anymore, but I will place my judgment for sin upon myself. I now will place all of that wrath upon my son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, and he will take your punishment in your place. No wonder Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because we know that Jesus took the sin of all the world upon himself at that moment in time. He died for you and for me. And all we have to do is simply trust in and believe in the covenant that God made with us through Jesus. And the Bible tells us we can be saved from the judgment that is to come. Just as Noah and his family were saved inside the ark, we now have an ark ourselves. His name is Jesus Christ. And if we are willing to enter into him, we will be saved as well. So that's why it ties in to what we're going to do today. Because... On that night that Jesus took the bread and the, and the wine that symbolized his body that would be broken the following day and, and his blood that would be shed, he said to his own followers, this blood is the blood of my what? The blood of my covenant with you. So that as you remember me, as I remember the covenant I made with you when I put a rainbow in the sky... 
I am instituting this Lord's table so that you will remember me and be mindful of what I was willing to do to enter into a relationship with you and forgive you of your sins and robe you in my righteousness and call you my son or my daughter forever. That I loved you enough to leave the glory of heaven, take upon humanity, flesh and bone, and be willing to go to a cross and lay down my life and shed my blood. That blood is the blood of my covenant with you. If you ever doubt somehow that I value you, what kind of worth you are to me, if you ever doubt my love for you, remember me in the Lord's table and know that my body was willing to be broken for you. And that my blood was willing to be shed for you. Remember me, Jesus says. As we end our series in Noah, we looked at the blessing of God and the covenant of God. May we be mindful of both today. How God has blessed us in so many ways. Even with the fact that here today, there will never be another grouping of people here at the Oasis just like this one ever again. And that you and I have the opportunity to be here today to experience this. And you might say, oh, I got lots of Sundays. We don't know that. I've told you before, I've been in church on Sunday as a pastor. And by the following Sunday, I buried somebody in our church that week. I did their funeral. Had no idea. But that week, they were taken and they were gone that quickly. Appreciate what we have and realize it's a blessing of God. And then realize the covenant that God makes with us. The covenant through His Son, Jesus Christ, who shed His blood so that we would know exactly where we stand with God at any time. Could we stand, please? Father God, help us to focus especially on you and your Son and the Holy Spirit for these next few moments that we have here. Help us to remember how precious these moments in our lives are. They only come around once a week, 52 times a year where we can be in a place like this with you and your people. And God, it's even fewer times throughout the year that we observe your table and where we can be in a place where we can be mindful of the blessings that you've bestowed upon us and the covenant that you entered into with us. And so God, as we're dismissed in just a moment, and we go back to that table and we take that bread that symbolizes your body broken for us and we take that little cup of wine that symbolizes your blood that is shed for us. May we truly begin to appreciate and acknowledge, Lord, the God that you are and the lengths that you will go to to make things right between us and you. That, that God, you're willing to reach so far. No distance is so great. 
And as Nicole even prayed in her prayer earlier, there's, there's nowhere we can go beyond where you can reach us. Nowhere. So God, wherever anyone is here today, may they know that you are reaching out to them right now. Wanting to just scoop them up and pick them up in your great big mighty arms and just hold them close and say, I love you. I died for you. Would you believe in me? Would you trust me? Would you follow me? We may go out into eternity one day and leave this earth as unbelievers, as unsaved, as unwilling to yield to the moving of the Lord in our life, but we will never go out into eternity unloved. God loves you today, my friend. And he wants you more than anything else to have a close, personal relationship, communion and fellowship with you. Would you be willing to have that kind of relationship, communion and fellowship with God today? And as those of us who know you, God, go back to that table today and grab a hold of those elements, may we truly in our hearts and in our heart of hearts be appreciative of who we are in you and what we have through you. God, these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.